Welcome back, everyone, to Red Spotlight. I'm your host, Alexis, and I'm joined by Peter Martinez. This is the podcast that brings you everything coming out of the world of movies and more. And on today's show, we will be discussing what we've been seeing lately in theaters, which includes the brand new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated film Mutant Mayhem, as well as a Studio Ghibli Fest that's been apparently going on all year long, unbeknownst to us, and we were able to catch one of them, and that would be Princess Mononoke from 1997. Uh, we might, uh, we'll see, and depending on what happens in the coming weeks and months, but we may see some more Miyazaki films in theaters, God willing, we'll see what happens. Uh, and then, of course, discussing what else we want to talk about here on Red Spotlight number 455. So, Peter, um, you might have heard through the grapevine in your association with this particular podcast. And by the way, as the former prestigious social media correspondent that you were called back in barely news crew days by the way i was so full of shit what the hell was it with those damn titles like what 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 possessed me shut up what possessed me to say that you were some kind of social media correspondent i don't know anyway um you may have heard that we are trying to do a little something with video now and the last podcast with david francisco was actually um uploaded on youtube most of our podcasts are but this time there was a video option available that's why if you can go on youtube.com i guess slash red spotlight or just search red spotlight entertainment you will find all those videos uh, the ones that we're discussing. Of course, you can listen to our podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, every single Sunday. You know the spiel. Um, anyway, did you get a chance to see it? And I mean, we we were actually together this last weekend with Alexis for the first time in person in a while. And uh, we were, you know, throwing the idea over. So terrified what you're actually going to say right now. What do you think? What do you mean about video? How did it look like to you? Oh, it was fine. Yeah. I I mean I gave my critique and no one no one listened to it. Was that a serious critique? Yes. Oh, okay. It's cuz sometimes it's hard to tell when you're being serious, you know? I don't think so. I feel anyway. I mean, apparently, I mean I know it was a joke, but supposedly you called somebody a bitch and that person seemingly took it seriously. There's no evidence of that. <laughs> That's not really true. There's, well, I guess you were seemingly misinformed about the availability of that particular clip. Anyway, that being what it was, um, can we just start off and, and talk about, you know, where we are right now i had a little you know i brought this up last time the idea that um in spite of all the negativity and all the you know the hell that is encircling the, the industry and the business we have really two positive gems in oppenheimer and in barbie and i mean we haven't had you and i particularly not on this show haven't had the opportunity to really talk about 
the cultural phenomenon that these two have become, even more so than just the opening week. Like in the in the ramp up, we were all thinking, well, this is going to be like a, a one week event, you know, an internet thing that'll fade away. But it hasn't. I mean, Barbie, now the second most successful movie in the history of the Warner Brothers Pictures movie studio, <laughs> surpassing The Dark Knight. Barbie, of course, 1.1, I think closing on $1.2 billion, may even surpass Super Mario Brothers, which is the highest grossing movie of the year. First of all, no one even thought it would get to a billion. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have Universal Studios with Oppenheimer. By the mind you, of course, WB's goal was to hurt Nolan, was to hurt Oppenheimer. But allegedly. it didn't. Well, they, allegedly, from reports, they, were, they, they released the film on the same week as Oppenheimer to spite him. But all the evidence to the contrary actually suggests that Barbie really helped Barbenheimer to the point where it's closing in on $700 million and it may even crack $800 million worldwide. And this, by the way, happens to be for a three-hour talkie drama biopic Oscar movie. Talkie. Not an action movie. But all those things usually do not amount to – I mean, that's – I mean, $800 million is like – that's that's only being forty five million short from what Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three made. So, what have you made of all of this success? I mean, I think it's it's gone beyond what you and I ever believed it would be. Yeah, I think there was always this belief that it would be successful. big to an extent. Yeah, yeah, uh, far larger than I think anyone would have expected. Uh. It's. I think it's great. I think it's a. It's a very, very positive thing. And then, of course, <laughs> Hollywood takes the worst lessons, like which clockwork. is people want to see movies made by toys. Not true. Barbie. The why Barbie Barbenheimer exists is because it was two. I think interesting projects to a mass audience directed by two um, big named directors who people love of like the exact opposite tone. And there's this sort of thing of like, oh, they're both really good movies made by really good directors with subject matters that we actually want to see on screen, but isn't it funny how completely tonally different they are? And that's it. That's why it was such a hit. It's very much a lightning in a bottle type thing. I actually, funnily enough, I don't think there's any real lesson to learn from this, actually. Everyone just got real lucky. It was just that it happened. Involved, anyway. It was dumb luck, and you can't really recreate that. And this whole notion of like, well, whose bright idea was it? No one. No one's bright idea. If anybody had any kind of inkling as to what this would be, do you not think Paramount and Tom Cruise would have released this as far away, would have released their Mission Impossible movie as far away from Barbenheimer as possible? Like, no one had any clue. Not even like weeks going into it. So I think like we need to dispel with this notion that people are suggesting that somebody out there like look at how irrationally out of touch movie executives 
always reveal themselves to be. No one in the business is that smart. No. no even if there was, you can't make this happen. This was just a fluke, if anything. By the way, not that we're going to talk about it, but like, um, you know, with the strikes, everyone's talking about AI and replacing jobs. It is funny because one of the easiest jobs to replace is the executive because yes. every decision they make is based off algorithms and focus testing. And they just, you know, ask a computer to make the decision for them and then they make it. So... One of the things that was reported recently in the news is that Disney is uh, trying to use AI as a means to figure out new ways to cut costs, as if they haven't already found every way imaginable to cut costs. I mean, it's pretty easy what you do. By the way, this flies in the face of any capitalistic notion. And of course, it flies in the face of what Americana is to these people. But the first thing you do, if you really want to cut costs, is... Cut your own freaking salaries. You don't need seven. Well, they didn't 20, mean that. <laughs> you don't need. I mean it. Um, Twenty-seven thousand dollars a day is not something anybody should get. It's just yeah. it, it's unnecessary for somebody who's already a billionaire, like Bob Iger is, particularly at Disney. Also, number two, you want to cut costs. Bring down the costs of the production budgets. They're all ballooning out of control. Those are very simple ways to cut down costs. Another way. Maybe phase out Disney Plus. We'll get to that in a minute. But the thing is this. Uh, like They're so incapable of doing that. They look for any way imaginable to make sure the working person, the normal person at that company, bears the brunt of their incompetence and their stupidity. What you were mentioning earlier before, to, just to be you – know, and to give these executives their due, was at Mattel – <laughs> they were like, wow, look at this Barbie movie. Now let's look at all of our catalog of best-selling toys that we've ever done, and let's go ahead and make movies on those. As if that was anywhere close to what made that movie the what it was. Yeah. Any person that looks, you know, that uses their heart to think about a movie instead of their cold, calculated mind can see that what made that movie special was Greta Gerwig. It is a Greta Gerwig movie. It is first and foremost before it is even anything else. It Honestly, to me, it, it's considering what it is, it is a bit mystifying to an extent how it, it happens to lend itself to be a commercial film. Maybe that speaks to the strength of, uh, of Greta Gerwig, but still, it is an auteur film. It really is in every sense of the way. And, and, and it's just – it's not something yeah. that can be replicated. Even if they do Barbie 2 without Greta Gerwig, what is the point? What are we doing here? You know? And, and that doesn't even begin to mention all the other toys that are out there they're going to do. It's just a brain-dead notion. Well, the thing is – and this is the real truth of it. There's no magic bullet to making a successful film every time. No. Because – there's just so many outside factors that play into it that, you know, you can make an, I, we've seen amazing movies come out and just bomb and amazing movies come out and succeed. And sometimes we're surprised by which one's bombs and which one succeeds. And we've right. seen shit films come out and bomb and shit films come out and succeed. And again, sometimes it's the best thing you can do. And again, I think this is kind of how they used to make films 
is just try and make the best film you can. Yeah. Every and single the time <laughs> and just hope that like that you know, it'll it'll connect, right? Yeah. And if it doesn't, there's still that possibility where it can make you money in the long run just by being a hit 10 years later. Like like a a cult classic, you know. That's why I always say don't but they're executives they focus on this quarter you know what what can it they don't they're not thinking about building a legacy in that way for anybody who out there needs more uh explanation on this look up matt damon on hot ones he pretty much broke this down a few months or years ago as to like what used to be there but there is a bit of an issue with what you were pointing out is that you know the ancillary market like all the other money there were other opportunities for movies to recoup their money if they had a very lackluster box office theatrical run. What they would normally be able to do was physical media, re-releases, even, uh, uh, of course, premium video on demand. But that all runs into the specter of streaming. And that's another thing. And, you know, we've been alluding to this and even flat out saying it all year long this year, Peter, on our show. But we need to just go ahead. I know we're, we're, we moved away a little bit from Barbie, Barbenheimer. Give me a minute. This needs to be addressed here about this streaming situation. Because a person that you and I often follow who follows the, the movie industry happens to be Grace Randolph. And just recently – we're her number one fans. She, she, she said, well, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, uh, please don't mistake that. Um, she recently caught up to you and me, which was like basically putting the blunt or, or, or the, the, the brunt the of blunt. Her, <laughs> the brunt of her blame on Bob Iger. And this is something that, that's been needing this blame for a while because in, in, in a recent uh, live stream, she was basically saying, like, we're officially witnessing the fall of Bob Iger, saying that um, this was supposed to be the pinnacle of his career, and Disney Plus has been a, an absolute disaster. And her even going so far as to saying that they need to get rid of Disney Plus. And this whole streaming thing that he not only led his company into, but led everybody else into like you know paramount plus is a thing peacock's a thing it's like there's there was never ever ever this much need for so many streaming options you yourself i would say were one of the the few people that saw it clear as day when disney plus was announced where this would eventually go and we're here and it's pretty much gone down exactly as you said and so my question to you is just just a remark on the moment that we're in right now that it's not just a collapse of Disney. It's not just a collapse of Bob Iger, two giants in this industry, but it's seemingly the collapse of everything because literally what all of the fighting is happening now between the strikes going on and in the negotiations of the strikes happened to be this fight for, you know, transparency of how many people watch those shows, how much money is being spent on those movies and shows, and to have some kind of residual, you know, uh, into the actors at the same time that cable TV is going away. Now, fifth, less than 50% viewership on, on, on cable TV. Everyone's moved on to streaming, but streaming as a whole has essentially broken every part of what made this business profitable. You can probably break down streaming and cable along like 
what do you call it? Age lines, generational mm. lines. Once a certain generation is gone, like cable's gone. And but once enough of a certain generation is gone, they're going to deem it no longer profitable. It's going to be this whole thing. Um Yeah. I to this day, I just I remember when it happened. I was like, "Why would you come back, Bob Iger?" Like your legacy was set in stone. Because every idiot would have blamed Bob Chapek for Bob Jacob Chapek for every wrong Jacob. thing that Bob Jacob for every wrong thing that happened. Bob Paycheck. Bob Paycheck for every wrong thing that happened. Even though he didn't do every wrong thing, he did a good amount. But a lot of it did come from Bob Iger. But there's yeah. these very like rose tinted um, glasses on when it came to him. But now that he's back, people are like, "Oh yeah." He did make these mistakes too. You're not who I thought you were, basically. Yeah. But he never was. He no. never made good decisions. Well, okay, that's not true. He made good decisions, but he never made creatively good decisions. He he's mm-hmm. not like this master businessman or creative that's like, oh, he's so good at, at running this. He got lucky in that he was in charge of Disney which had like close to what 70 years of nostalgia to play on people's minds and he's like well let's just dig that grave up and parade around its corpse until people get tired of it and he left right when people were getting tired of it and i was like oh he's a mastermind he's a genius but they left before covid Yes, but then he came back and it's like, no, like your one trick pony is done and over with. What live action remake are you going to do now? And because you've spent the last decade focusing on kind of rehashing the previous, what, 70 decades, like you don't have that built in new like films and artistry to, to build off of. Because you look at like, okay, The Lion King made a million dollars, but you can't build off of it and and make money on it forever the way the original Lion King did, you know? Mm -hmm. It was a one and done situation. Same with The Little Mermaid. Same with all these live action remakes. Yeah, you get that money in the box office, but there's no staying power where you're making making money on it decades after the way those originals were. And they don't have a lot of that going on right now. No, they don't. And I think he's seemingly going to just double down on that and it's not going to work out in his That's, favor. He's trying to hit, hit Toy Story 5. And even the hardest core to- Toy Story fan is like, stop. And like, Moana live action, Frozen live action, Tangled live no, action. No, that- no one fucking wants that. Maybe Frozen because for some reason, god damn, that's got a hold on little girls. But like... um, 10 years old this year. Frozen. 10th yeah. anniversary. I just don't but that's what I mean right like they're catching up yeah before they were doing remakes from like the 1930s and and the 1990s now they're 10 years ago are they gonna do a Wreck-It Ralph live action no they can't (laughs) 
Well, it's like he came back at the worst possible time. Now we're seeing that uh, literally when it comes to the studio, every studio is just, is on the brink of collapse. Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar, Disney Animation, it's all just like flatlining. That's not Live even action. Live action, yes. That's the, I mean, look at how poor Haunted Mansion is doing. I forgot there even was a Haunted Mansion movie playing in theaters right now. Oh, my. And oh, and my God. how pitiful it was received. Look at every decision they're making with Tron 3. <laughs> Terrible. Why is Jared Leto your lead? <laughs> the dude that made the last one made a billion dollar film last year. Joseph Kaczynski, the director yes. of Top Gun Maverick. Speaking of movies that nobody saw coming would be as big as they were. Yeah. How about you get him back so you can throw on a bunch of trailers, the director of Top Gun Maverick? No? Okay. Jared Jared Leto. Let's Jared leave Leto with another jinx. Jared. Yeah, Jared Leto was a jinx. Look at Morbius. Look at how I mean he single handedly brought down House of Gucci. He was the hatbox ghost in Haunted Mansion. <laughs> what is it with Disney? They, they, oh man. look, if this is the mentality, if, if, again, this is why I'm saying, yeah. why would you trust the intelligence of movie executives? Why would Just you? Sh- shit decision after shit decision. Why would you release a Haunted Mansion movie in July again? They did that in 2003 with the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion. They released it in July. And also, I wonder what happened. It doesn't. The Haunted Mansion movie didn't even look that good. good. Didn't like, look good. No. Again, it from ten. They're they're just keep doing the same shtick, where they're like, "LOL, isn't this funny?" The situation we're in. But like, how about take it seriously? Yeah. And if the film does, how about reflect that in the trailers? Because you know what you know what's killing right now horror films yes so if you actually like sold this as like a spooky film set it around october you could get people excited right Mm -hmm. like but no fuck it it's too late it's gone same thing for tron you could actually get people excited about a tron i think so Uh, because i'd be one of them (laughs) i mean this suffice to say look um Disney's whole thing right now is Bob Iger is the 2010s personified, and he's going to continue doing that in this decade. But every decade changes, tastes change. And where this whole year, to me, has repeatedly been an education and what a paradigm shift is. Yeah. The, the tastes of audiences have changed in that many of the films that I feel would have been runaway successes in the billions worth. Maybe not Haunted Mansion, but it would have done a lot better if this Haunted Mansion, even if this crappy Haunted Mansion movie was released in 2015, it would have made a whole lot more money. If Haunted Mansion or A Little Mermaid, um, any Disney movie released this year, if they were released in the 2010s, it would not be this situation. Vice versa, other studios and the success that they're finding, they wouldn't have that success. I mean, look at all this, the, the success that Universal has had with a lot, a lot of their B movies this year, like Megan and Cocaine Bear and Rainfield. 
Um, even the, the bigger ones like Puss in Boots and Super Mario Brothers, like they're raking it in. Of course, now they even have a drama that's performing like a blockbuster in Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, so look at the, the success of Barbie, basically. Like we are in the middle of a shift as what happens from decade to decade. And if Bob yeah. Iger thinks that he's going to double down, triple down this 2010s mentality, then what's ultimately going to happen is Whatever the very thing that made him successful or perceived to be successful in the 2010s will be his downfall in the 2020s. And we're rapidly approaching this thing where he will, to save face, a lot of people are already getting this rumor rolling around that he will just sell the company off to Apple and then parachute himself away uh, until he dies, basically, with a nice like little bonus and everything. Maybe he would want to do that again to save face, but um, I think that would destroy his um, legacy. His that legacy would, he, he would be he would forever be known as the man who sold the mouse. Yeah, and that's and not at all what he what he wants. Stupid uh, millennials that love him because it makes sense to love a CEO. That's just out the window, I think. And any, but, yeah. Any, love they had for him is gone and that's like that that's just the studios all of which are collapsing it doesn't even bring into the fold how much the disney parks are suffering themselves like they have thanks to bob chapik mostly the parks have been so overpriced that universal studios theme parks have caught up significantly now some conservatives Real quick, some conservatives okay. who were on this Ron DeSantis, Bob Iger feud, and obviously were on – I know this go, woke, go broke thing. I, yeah. It's not that at all. I just wanted to mention that that's bullshit. Well, it's the, but some it's of the them, same thing with the movies, right? We're yeah. hitting a paradigm shift. It's not because – and you know what's the clearest example of it's not this go, broke, go, broke, Ron DeSantis thing? Because Ron DeSantis is plummeting in the polls, right? Like <laughs> yeah, this he, is – he himself this week is running away from that feud. Yeah, he's, that he's running away because it's such a killer for him, <laughs> you know. So if this was actually something that's like taking hold of the country, he would be doing a little bit better, I believe, since he is like the single like warrior that took. Was there not a poll headline I saw that he fell behind Chris Christie in the polls? It, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> and Chris Christie's not winning anything. Not only that, Florida, <laughs> like I saw this, like Orlando or Florida. Like, they're trying to do, like, some LGBT outreach to keep the um, vacation money flowing in. Right. Because they're seen as such, like, a a hotspot of bigotry that they're like, "Uh, we got to do something to make us look good because we can't lose. So, yeah, like, this whole thing of... and But just personally, too, like, yeah, um, I'd, I'd love to go to Disneyland and you know universal and you know theme parks are fun but every once in a while i'll look at the prices and i'll look at the bullshit you have to do at disneyland and it's like man like universal is so much easier it's so much easier and it's 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 just they're more straightforward with how much you want to pay disney will find any excuse they can to get more money out of you for things that you could have done for free in the previous decade basically and Actually, what's being impacted more so is the Florida theme park where Universal Studios Orlando is very much catching up. Uh, attendance is down at, at the Magic Kingdom Walt Disney World Resort over there. 
Um, that, which is why some conservatives think, oh, it's because of Ron DeSantis. That's not at all what's the issue. It's the fact that they've priced a whole class of people out of going to their parks. This yeah. is what happens. But also, it could be because of Ron DeSantis. Because you know, you know who really loves Disney? Gay people. That's yeah. <laughs> And then they're like, well, no, I'm not going to go to Florida. That's terrifying, right? Like, go to the, the one in California. At least they'll yeah. welcome there. Yeah. It, at least I'm not going to. It's not the land of Ron DeSantis. Um, so, and then aren't they going to open up uh, that new park in Florida, too? Yes. Universal? Universal is expanding. And yeah, Universal is the beneficiary. I mean, I. When you look at the, the success of the theme parks and the success that they've had this year, Universal may be the big dog this decade. Who knows? It's already shipping it, shipping up to be, um, that way any, anyway. But also that again, another way in which Disney is suffering is Disney plus. What do you do about that? That's the big thing I feel is like that's, that's because Disney plus in and of itself is a big reason for why Pixar, Disney Animation and Marvel Studios are suffering in theaters. Yes. Like, and again, that was all um, Bob Iger. Because his big baby was Disney Plus. And everything that he built before that, he kind of kneecapped. Like Marvel, Marvel was like king of the world. And Disney, I really think Disney Plus is the reason Marvel is just such downhill now. They really kneecap them with like 5,000 shows and movies, nothing. Everything is just so scrambled and you're and never going to get one, audiences back. With each them. one is worse than the last. Yeah. In quality. It's just no one saw Secret Invasion. And why? those that did, those that did. Didn't like the, it. <laughs> they didn't like it. Like aggressively didn't like it. Like I have not seen a Marvel show take hits this bad since the days of Iron Fist. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and I would even say, considering what I've heard, hell, maybe we were too hard on Scott Buck. Maybe he did <laughs> on Iron Fist. Maybe that would be a better show no, than I one. will never say that. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, not for Inhumans, but from what I've seen from Secret Invasion, it seems awful and abysmal. Not that Iron Fist wasn't, but you hey, we're comparing. Sam Jackson. I don't know. That's got to count for something. Um, but yeah, Star Wars. Well, actually, Star Wars kind of helped it a little bit. In well, for That's like what, what two years? Well, Mandalorian for the first two seasons. But like mm-hmm. I discussed with David last time, and you noticed this yourself. Something happened in Mandalorian season three where no one cared anymore, and well, the ones that t- tuned in, mm-hmm. which a fair amount still tuned in, realized, wait a minute, this show went downhill. Although we would say it's the same <laughs> it's as it the ever same was. Show. It's the same well, show. I actually do think it, it probably got worse. I actually do no, think yeah, there, for was, sure. there was yeah. better stuff in, in season for sure season one and then sprinkled in, in, in season two. Um, I think it's the real test. What's really going to be interesting is to see how Ahsoka uh, does. Ahsoka does. Yeah. And you know what? It might be helped out. That show might be helped out a lot by the fact that there's a strike. So there's mm. not going to be the much in coming out, you know? So it might be helped a lot by that. But then, yeah, and then Pixar, man, they they fuck, they really kicked the legs out from under Pixar. Brutal. The, the, I mean, it, for one, 
the better films that they had these last three years, they put on streaming for free. Mm-hmm. Their best films. Their best films. Yeah. And their inferior ones they put in theaters. Like Lightyear was a was so big of a bomb, they fired the director from Pixar. That's crazy. That's and that was one of the originals. He was one of their very first people to work there at Pixar. So it's like, I mean, look, it's not exclusively because of Disney Plus, but Disney Plus did har- you know, horrible harm to a lot of them. And so I guess what I want to ask you, Peter, is that what the fuck is the solution? I don't what, know. Ha- what is the future of Disney Plus? Like, why would you continue well, Disney Plus? Well, here's the thing. I don't know if you saw that, too. All the streamers, I think, specifically Disney Plus, they're raising their prices again. Yes. And... Had, like, While also dialing back the amount of money they put into the services as far as, like, original programming. Another and delete, aspect of, and yeah. deleting programming that's already there. Yeah. Or simply licensing it out because that'll make them a little bit extra money. Right. Right? And it's it's going to come down to that thing where feasibly, you know, money-wise, what's, what's the point? Like, really, what's the point of, of keeping it? Especially if uh, there's maybe one show a year that comes out that you might like, just pay for it then. And, and instead of just keeping holding on to it, like, really, I'm looking at Disney Plus. I'm trying to think, what's the next thing where I'm like, oh, man, I got to see that. And or season Plus, two. Yes. What about after that? Exactly. <laughs> Fuck off. Exactly. No, yeah. Oh, and then another aspect that to that is and this is this is why people might keep Disney Plus is a lot of people will just choose not to go to the movies to see certain films, specifically Disney films, because they've been trained it's gonna be right there on Disney Plus. Not everyone is crazy like me and you, where it's like it's opening night, we gotta go see it. It's like, do you really want to see that movie? No, but it's opening night. Like, what the fuck? No one, <laughs> that's not me. Most people, even a movie they really want to see, they're like, oh, yeah, I'll get around to it. Right? And if you keep a movie in the theater for longer, them getting around to it is them eventually going to the movie theater. But again, if they know in a month that shit's going to be on something that they're already paying for, they're like, cool, I'll wait. So that's another aspect to where they're kind of eating themselves. Yeah, they were definitely like, and I don't mean to keep prying here, but I still have to ask. Like, you mean it? What? Oh, what do fu- we do? What's the fucking solution? How is it? I know that James Gray, a few years ago, was giving this interview about like what the studios have done and how they've trained audiences to not want to see certain kinds of films and theaters, and that they 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 need to force it back. Is there yes. a way in which the studios can just force back a cultural shift because the masses people who are watching right now they love the convenience of streaming and they don't care how much harm not that they need to by the way but they don't care how much harm it's causing the people who make this entertainment in the first place Mm -hmm. but if it's not profitable what is the point of this and so there needs to be something to because right now this whole year we've been saying it already but like in case people who are not getting the, the hint here 
the studios, the executives, are walking back streaming. To a certain extent. Yes. But the thing is, I also don't think you can go back. Then what do you do? <laughs> what is there to be done? Like, the, like It's like the genie's out of the bottle. I get that point. I yeah. get that we've moved on and, and streaming is going to stay. But what is the what is the magic nugget that we can get that where it can be profitable? Because we're not those like three years between or 2019 to 2021, 2022. We we saw these studios pour in all of their resources to fund these hundreds of millions of dollars worth of television shows and movies just to to bring up a subscriber growth. But it it, it does not that money that they threw into those shows they'll never get back. Yeah, and it's it's not the same way. It's not the same apples to apples profitability as box office is in theaters or as physical media was, or even on television with the ratings where we could gauge how popular something was or not the way that it is right now. It, it's not sustainable. So what are, what is it that they can do? I don't but, know. <laughs> That's I what I'm asking know. you. <laughs> I, I don't think we're at the point where we know yet. I think, I think there's still just too much up in the air. Because what you were suggesting earlier sounded something that what Randolph was saying, which was convert Disney Plus into an a la carte situation where instead of having a subscription fee, you just purchase the things that you want from there. That's but just a digital my- store. Exactly. But, but you already have that with you already iTunes. have that. And Amazon now you can Video. Make a, a, like- a Disney exclusive one where it's like purchase it and own it forever. I mean, there's, that's kind of what they're doing with the parks, right? Before right. before there was no such thing as a fast pass, then you know people started using fast passes, and then when that wasn't good enough money wise, they're like, "Well, you can pay fast for pass specific plus. rides," and it's like, I think we need to see them dip their their like toe in the water because right now I don't think they know. I think too Clearly. much is, is up in the air right now. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone knows because I would say a good idea would be to try to push audiences back towards physical media somehow but i don't think that's happening i don't think i think physical media is going to be a niche thing and i think there'll be an amount of profitability Mm -hmm. but i don't I, i mean i don't think it's a waste of time to have that be one of the options but i would think anyway try and push it back to at least the movies like look at what barbenheimer has done like try and do more event stuff like that or not even just events but try to put the emphasis back on the theatrical experience to get back some revenue instead of streaming being the priority see the thing is i can see them i think it would be because everything is so digital now right Mm -hmm. and i kind of i look at other what do you call it entertainment areas of society like video games right Mm -hmm. so many video games are starting to make a turn to where it's like almost digital only where there's not many physical Mm release like like even with bigger games and why is that they sell them for the same price except without all the manufacturing the cost of all the physical stuff you make more money and then also, if it disappear, it it dis- You don't own it, so it can disappear. So we can sell it to you again eventually. Um, I feel like maybe if you were under Chapic, you could see that turn 
towards like we're changing Disney Plus to the Disney Vault, and it's it's going to be a you know purchase it. I think they would do it slow though. I think they would start to say like, hey, movies are going to come in and out, and da 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 da. But if you make a one-time purchase of this movie, it'll stay there forever. Like I think they would try little shit like that to to ease that that um, per thing. And one one quick easy thing you can do to uh, put a little bit more emphasis back on the theatrical is stop dumping the films only after forty five days in theaters. Yeah, the, this forty five day thing happened after COVID. Bring it back to 65, 75, 85 days. Like, to me, look at the Avatar Way of Water approach. Avatar the Way of Water was in theaters December, January. It did not release on digital until, like, what was it, June? Yeah. May or June? And then June was the month where it had its – that's, like, half a year almost. That's how it was. That's how it used to be. Make people fucking wait. Like, make it longer that way for people who are, you know, because like what you're saying is true. People are like, well, it'll be on Disney Plus or I can rent it digitally in a month and a month and a half. Remove that. Remove mm-hmm. that being an option. And then that'll, it's, you know, that whole hesitation will go away. And like, well, I really want to see it. I guess I'll, I'll catch it in a week or two instead of opening night. But Or like, this is I can also see them doing going forward from a certain point, new releases just won't show up on Disney Plus. You're gonna have to buy them individually. Yeah. You know? Ooh, yeah. Something like that. Mm. Like a uh, new Avengers movie is out. It's not just gonna pop up on Disney Plus. Um it'll pay it'll us, show up yeah. there, but it's like you gotta pay a certain fee and then and then it'll pop up. And then what that's the how pricing? they start to um Go ahead. roll it out. What well, what was the price increase to now? What without ads, Disney Plus is how much a month? Fifteen? It's, yeah, like, it was like fifteen ninety nine. First of all, like, that is not worth it, people. <laughs> that is so not worth it. It wasn't so even worth fun. it when it was not not at all. But and then remember when it first came out, wasn't it like five ninety nine? Yeah, yeah. and then yeah, yeah. But I would even if they do that, it's like well, it would be cheaper to cancel your subscription to Disney Plus and then just outright buy the film on iTunes if that's how much you want to see it. Yeah, because yeah, basically. So it's like I. I I just oh my god this stupid pandemic fucked everything and so did you know this 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 whole streaming thing but it's like I mean we're living in a time now remember I go back to that CNBC article or or somebody on Wall Street was like saying to Paramount hey shut down Paramount Plus no one is going to go to no the one... fifth popular streaming service yeah and the thing is I think It'll eventually happen with the other studios. I think eventually the other studios will become okay with letting go of their streaming service. I don't think they just Dis- license out their content. I don't think Disney will though. I I think especially be- with Bob Iger in charge, there's like an emotional, like I yeah. I this was my baby. I'm gonna make it work. Bob Iger himself said that Disney Plus was his legacy, his greatest exactly. So they ain't never shutting that shit down. As long as he's there. As long as he's but there. It, but if he sells to Apple, which Apple themselves also has a streaming service, that creates a different possibility. If because they by sell the way, it to Apple, it's like, I'm done. Like, 
I mean, you're not. We shouldn't also just treat it as if it's in a vacuum. That would also. I mean, that that's the least likely of the mergers to happen again. These are just rumors. But I don't think it's impossible as it was if you had told me a year ago. But what we do know is happening is somebody who is much more craven, David Zaslav, very clearly is going to sell Warner Brothers to Universal or Comcast Universal, which disgusts me because I don't think... Oh, you don't think that's going to happen? No, I'm saying I don't think any of this should be legal. Which is why it disgusts me. This yeah. shouldn't be legal. I mean, because those are already merged. Disney's already a merged company, like 10 times over, as is Warner Brothers. Every like, one of these are, are like 10 times merged. It, it like... I, it's getting it to the point, like, who's left? Yeah. It's getting to the point where it's just like two competitors. It's like all you're doing is turning this into the American political system. Or it's just like two political parties. There's gonna yeah, there's gonna be two bad competing, options and it's all gonna shit. And again, I do think it'll turn people off. And I think it's already turning people off. I think there's mm-hmm. a reason why people are looking for other types of films. Not necessarily because they have any deep seated feelings about like companies and da 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 da. But I think you can see it reflected in the in certain companies' films when it when it's been monopolized so many times. Like Disney has a certain feel to its films at this point, and I think people are kind of tired of it, so they're looking for something new and interesting. That's why there's a love for Barbie and a love for Oppenheimer, and even smaller films that are coming out. Speaking of which. Uh, bringing things back to a bit more of positivity. Um, man, both films really are that terrific, aren't they? Like, uh, you and I, um, we had Alexis over the weekend. We were watching Nope, and that was fun. Oh, yeah, that's uh, great. That was a, a really good time. But we were also talking about before the beforehand how much we really, really liked Oppenheimer. And all the little like intricacies and small moments in there. Like it was just I know that in, in the reviews we just talked broadly about it and then like performances here and there and the themes, but we didn't really get into the, the the small little moments in each film. Both of these films that are hilarious and amazing and and, and, and powerful. And then just like you know, the little things that you catch on the second or third rewatch. Uh you said you've seen Barbie twice. I've seen Barbie twice. Um, I've seen Oppenheimer three times Damn. already. Um, and I'm trying to see if I can get Barbie again <sighs> because I, I really did enjoy both of these movies like immensely. Now with Oppenheimer, uh, there, there's just so many, and it's, it's just, it's, I, I know, I, I don't know how much longer it'll last, you know, Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, but whoever, whoever is still there, it's always fun to see people bring up, you know, a couple of things here and there that you just didn't pick up on in the movie. But to me, um, the animosity in Oppenheimer that Robert Strauss has toward, uh, not Robert Strauss, uh, Louis Strauss has toward Robert, I was thinking of Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Louis Roberts, uh, that RDJ's uh, Louis Strauss has against uh, Robert Oppenheimer, you get that immediately from the first scene that they're introduced to each other. They're like literally, it's in the screenplay, um, and I know that Kyle was like joking, kind of laughing at Nolan for the pretentiousness of like written for the screen, 
by Christopher Nolan, the credit at the end. But it's like, hey, I also do get turned off by a little bit of Nolan's like um, pretentiousness. But in this case, it's an amazing movie. Uh, It really is. And when it's good and when it's this good particularly, but there's just so much in it. Even smaller players that leave so much of an impact. Like, again, the third act far and away is my favorite part of the movie. And a big part of why it's the best, not just because of RDJ, not just because of Emily Blunt's amazing scene, which, by the way, I've been seeing some rekindling conversation about maybe she might squeak in there for a Best Supporting Actress nomination. If the film is so loved, she might get in there just by... And again, it depends, it also, on, it depends on competition. Yeah. It depends on competition, but if there's not as much, she might get in there. But that doesn't mean that Emily Blunt wasn't great. She was great. Um, and, sh- and somebody also pointed out that like her character was the only one who was making sense the entire time. Like, <laughs> like she was clearly the smartest person in the room, um, at least when it came to people. Emotionally. Yes, emotionally. Um, by the way, just some things that I've noticed. I love how most of the times we cut to her, she has a drink in her hand. Um, and how just like small little moments of not animosity, but just like, and maybe not even indifference, but there's a little bit of like callousness in the way that she treats her children sometimes. Like there's a sequence where she just like hands off the baby to Oppenheimer when they move into Los Alamos. Just like, mm-hmm. here, take this away from me while she's examining the house, which I thought was so funny. She even makes a joke one time to Ch- uh, Chevalier, their friend, to like, do you want to adopt him? Um, which I thought <laughs> was so funny. And then even um, more so is often, oftentimes that we cut back to her at home life and there's always a baby freaking crying (laughs) just losing its mind in the background somewhere yeah like just like over the top crying too and Oppenheimer is nowhere to be seen nope nowhere at all but you know who who really stood out for me uh, on the third rewatch though and I'm glad other people are noticing this as well who's also been an actor in a lot of stuff but hasn't gotten too much notoriety Jason Clark um, yes. and, and, and Jason Clark, who's, uh, was really great. And he, of course, he gets overshadowed by like Toby Kebbell and, and, um, Andy Serkis, but he was great in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes yeah. uh, a few years ago. He's great in everything, but in here, he plays, I forget the name of the character, but he plays a very well known prosecutor. And I love when, uh, RDJ says that to Dane DeHaan, and he's like, ooh. <laughs> he had this <laughs> mis- prosecutor, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's so good in that third act like he he shouldn't be forgotten about like and also i i do wish i know that the sag does this in their award show but i do wish that the the oscars would do a best acting ensemble award i know it may be redundant because they have best picture but still best ensemble cast like this has an amazing ensemble like one of the best ensembles i've seen and so many like actors that again we we joked about in our review that come up for air every now and then have a line yeah. and they, they blink out of the and movie and then they go back and it's always like, holy shit, you're in this movie? Never mind, you're gone. I'll like, see I you in the credits. When Kenneth Branagh comes back in, I'm like, oh, I forgot you were in this movie. <laughs> and he was in the in the in one of the first scenes. Mm-hmm. So, and you know what? Alden Ehrenreich is very good in this, too. I, I, I'm surprised. And I feel so bad that Solo turned out the way that it did. Because he should have been getting more roles and more work than what he's been getting by now. Yeah, no, he's really good. 
Um, I do wonder, though. We haven't talked too much about Ludwig Göransson's score. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I wonder, do you feel it can be a little overpowering at times? <laughs> that, yes, I guess, would go also in tandem with sound design, but it's to a point. It's it's very Nolan, right? Like Yes. If you don't want a film where the score overpowers the rest of the film, don't go see a Christopher Nolan. Or the sound, period. Yeah, just everything but the, the dialogue, basically. Um, um yeah. go ahead. No, no, no. That that's just. Yeah. And that's for and then as far as like Barbie is concerned, um, so many wonderful um small performances in there, uh, that really just like I mean, Simu Liu was great. Rhea Perlman playing an uncharacteristically nice character. Um, for a change, it's I thought funny that was so how funny. People were pointing out, like, "Oh my God, she's the mom for Matilda," and it's like it's that generational thing because it's like she's most mo- people. She's would... Carla from Cheers. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. her signature role. <laughs> yeah, but then you see all these people going, "Like, oh my God, it's the mom from Matilda." That's pretty funny. Rhea Perlman also, hilariously enough, this is kind of random, she also had a role on Bad Batch uh, these last two seasons. I know. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's also something that's out there. Um, But speaking of Barbie, you had talked about this when we were, you know, talking about the movie, about what song they were going to pick to submit for for original song. And like, you know what? In, In retrospect... It might be a tougher decision to see which one they're going to go with. I still feel, how can you not submit I'm Just Ken? That clearly is like, that, that's, right? that's a, that is a full-blown musical number. How do you not submit that one? But the more I'm thinking about it, I know you, you talked about like Dua Lipa or Lizzo, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking. I didn't say Lizzo. Well, well I was. I said well, Dua Lipa. You, you said Dua Lipa. Okay. Are you like a, a Lizzo hater now? No, 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 no. It's like, just I, didn't I say never. Lizzo. <laughs> no, I just I never thought that song would be picked. Okay, don't, don't put that on me. What about Billie Eilish though? She be- absolutely could be. Yeah, because it's not just that that song plays in a very emotional moment in the film, which is pretty much the catharsis scene of the whole of the whole movie, but her her song. Uh, if you listen to the Mark Ronson score, like the actual score of the film, that song is interweaved throughout the majority of that score. It comes in and it comes out of the movie. It's as much as I would like it to be. I'm just Ken. It's probably going to be a toss up between Dance the Night and By Dua Lipa, which is an amazing song. It's a great freaking that yeah. in and of itself is, is a musical number if you want to think about it that way. But it's great. It's between that one and Billy's song. Well, because they're the pop stars, right? They're the pop stars, and they usually get precedent when it comes to because like this last year we had what we it's had off several the charts, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. But I would at least think, and I know, I think a Star Is Born attempted to submit three songs. And they were allowed for consideration, but I think only, I think only one of them ended up getting the nomination. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing that up in context for what I think 
I just want I'm just Ken to be submitted. It, because like that's that's the one that should win. Like to yeah. me, it it is is so much of a slam dunk. Like how that other song that wasn't nominated should have won that Jamie Dornan performed the Palm Beach the Palm oh, Tree yeah. song from Barb but and Star. No one saw that movie, so no one saw it. But still, it but no one saw Eurovision um, either. That's and true. and Huzovic was still nominated uh, for best original. I don't know if it won, but it, it was still nominated anyway. So it's like I mean, and nobody watches Diane. Um, Diane Warren's movies, but her songs always get nominated every freaking year. She has like 13 nominations. The point is... They just see her name and they <laughs> put her on the ballot. They, 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 they check off the, the, the name, basically. But my, my point being is, I just want I'm Just Kin to be nominated because it should win. I just want to see it performed live. <laughs> but the thing is, would Ryan Gosling do it? Because yes. if you recall, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone were not interested and did not perform the songs uh, from La La Land. And their songs were nominated. There were like two two or three songs that were nominated from La La Land. And they had John Legend go in there and, and, and perform those really? songs. Really? Yeah. Remember that? See, that's lame. It's it's lame because, hey, you know Bradley, Cooper, I- Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga performed their song that was nominated. Yeah, that broke up his relationship. You kidding me? It won an Oscar. It It won won an Oscar. And it won the Oscar. And you know what? That goes a long way in winning the Oscar if you have the A-listers out there, I think, performing it. You know what? I'll go so as far as to say this. If he's not willing to perform it, I don't want it nominated. Damn. Yeah. I wonder if Jamie Dornan would have performed the song if his song was nominated. You bet your ass he would. (laughs) Man. But I mean, again, they don't always do this. Not to, not to didn't have the stars in this in the sequence. Yeah, and it sucked. As much as we don't talk about Bruno did. No, wasn't even that one didn't even get nominated. This is what I'm saying. They keep failing this category. They just keep failing it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we should talk about real quick before we move on to the Studio Ghibli stuff that I want to talk about with you. Um, about what is happening later this year. We, we have, it just, I know we, we talked a lot about trailers and getting the wrong kind of trailers in the movies that we go and see. Getting the same kind of trailers for films that we have no interest in. But one that we keep getting and one that is consistently good. And to my recollection, we have not discussed this at all. On the show to date, Peter, um, Killers of the Flower Moon. We have not talked about the trailer. Are you sure? I feel like I've talked about it. (laughs) You may have. I know we talked about it somewhat, but remember, because sometimes I don't, most times I don't watch trailers at home. Yeah, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. I wait to see them in theaters. And so the first time that I saw the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon was there, which surprised me because I was under the impression it would be a limited Apple release. I didn't think it would be as widespread as it's going to be. In fact, I even saw it might even get an IMAX release, Killers of the Flower Moon. I think they're trying to ride off the Oppenheimer mm. um, wave, which you know what? Go for we, it. We, we talk about executives learning the wrong lessons. I, this is a right lesson to me. Right. You know, 
push it in the same way Oppenheimer was pushed. Um, see if you can ride those coattails. Hopefully they can. And it's nice to see it, a because it looks great. I mean, that's kind of irrelevant at this point. It's just nice to see a Marty Scorsese movie get that treatment. He should get yes. that treatment at eighty he years old. He deserves it. Yes. But also, I do want to say this because you know, as much as I will, you won't. But as much as I will, until the end of time, bitch about how Spielberg's latest filmography is so underappreciated. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it is. No, it is. And, and you saying that is a very clear example of how it, it very much is not uh, appreciated at all, as it should be. <laughs> Marty Scorsese's filmography, I don't like. I was even seeing a podcast today about like what is Scorsese's most underappreciated film. The answer is obvious. It's silence because no one the, yeah. the reaction to that movie mm-hmm. was silence. No one cared. It had Andrew Garfield. It had Adam Driver. It had Liam Neeson, and it was one of the most devastating films I've ever seen. I keep calling it like his version of Schindler's List for a very clear fucking reason. Like it is that devastating, and the idea that. That warranted nobody's attention. And the Academy, which, by the way, the Academy did right by, I want to say, Wolf of Wall Street got a lot of nominations. Oh, yeah, Wolf Um, of Wall Street. And Irishman got a lot of nominations. Mm -hmm. At at the very least, those were recognized. But silence, crickets. Yeah, I would agree. uh, That's under... Hugo got more recognition than than silence and and even though Hugo it was dismissed as a kids film and it is a kids film I don't I don't see why that should be a knock against it yeah. but a lot of a lot of people that are big Scorsese fans don't really that I've noticed anyway don't really care too much for Hugo because it's it doesn't feel like a Scorsese film I mean by intention obviously but still um I believe that was Marty's last win like he won the Golden Globe Award for best directing for Hugo back in 2011, which is not nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's some kind of recognition. But suffice to say, with Irishman being a Netflix-only release, um, it's been a while. I'll also mention Shutter Island was also underrated, too. I, I really love Shutter Island back in 2010. But Shutter Island has some mainstream success, I think. It did. But then again, that was a different time, right? That It, yeah. it was a time where it, it could have had that success. Um. So it's just nice to see a new Marty Scorsese film getting the an actual theatrical release for one, an additional IMAX run, but also, fuck, does it look great? It looks great, yeah. Like and it is. That's a trailer I don't get tired of seeing. Oh, it's great. I love the music. It it um, and I'm hoping it hits those those sort of quadrants for certain audiences like it's based on a true story and it's historical and it has leo um you know that's a big thing people really love leo and And de niro yeah and de niro so i'm I'm hoping it, it hits those sort of buttons and the way it's sort of marketed i have the feeling the real film isn't gonna be it's going to be its own beast, but it, it's sort of touching on like Goodfellas, his his gangster stuff, you know, mm. to, to, and that's always been the stuff that people love the most from him. So, so I think that helps too. I think they're doing a pretty good job right now marketing it. So I'm, I'm really hopeful for that one. 
Well, so real quick, did you see that they're adding um, Mean Streets to the Criterion Collection? I did not, know. That's yes. quite interesting. It's getting I, a Blu-ray release. It actually surprises me that I didn't already have a release. Because everybody loves Mean Streets. I mean, I don't care for it as much as everybody else does, but um, I I prefer King of Comedy, actually. That's just me. Oof. I, you don't like, I, I you don't like I prefer the joke. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't let the... Look, part of... Part of the reason why Joker turns me off so much is, is because, because it, it's yeah. just a King of Comedy remake. and It's well, a combo you, of King of Comedy and, and Taxi um, Driver. And Taxi Driver. And it's such a worse version. <laughs> yeah. But then again, I mean, everybody would, I think most people would say that Goodfellas is his best movie. I would still say Taxi Driver is. Yes. Taxi Driver. And man, it did not help that I, that I saw Taxi Driver like right before Joker. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> Taxi Driver is phenomenal. Well, and technically then, speaking, well, I mean, I think we both kind of did, right? Because we did a Scorsese Files well, yeah, yeah, thing at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, we, yeah, we, we both were seeing those movies at that same time. But it's like, hey, I just personally think King of Comedy is not talked about enough. It seems to be kind of forgotten. But now they get Joker. And Joker is like... You're going to get Joker too. Well, that's a different story. With, right? Um, like, it, it's not going to be like the same movie at all. No, but I saw them shoot where they had like Lady Gaga dance on the same stairs as the as the first movie, and that just made me go like, "Eh." I kind of winced. I don't know. We'll see. Well, you know, Lady Gaga is very much trying to get that Oscar. I mean, she she already got it yet. No, no, she got that for a song, but she hasn't gotten the acting Oscar. She wants that one really bad. Selfish. I mean, she already is an Academy Award winner, but she wants it to be for acting. I'm surprised she don't got that EGOT. She will at some point. But I figured she'd move on to the the next letter. But she's still looking at that Oscar. Mm. No, no, it seems to be what she she wants to do right now but um De, uh, De Niro and, Le- and Leo look amazing in that trailer uh everything about it the production design the cinematography again like to me I I hope the best for it like I do t- to perform at awards like I do for a Spielberg film but like Spielberg although Marty is always seen as a bit more respective than Spielberg. Spielberg is dismissed in a lot of ways, as you yourself just did a few minutes ago. But uh, but, but you know what? I feel I feel like that's not true when you actually get down to the numbers. I feel like which, well, which numbers? Oscars. The, oh oh oh, really? Okay. Well, that's true because I, I think Marty I only like, won one time, right? Yes. For The Departed. Yes. Or Aviator was it Aviator or The Departed? I think it was The The Departed. Okay. It was the Departed, yeah. Which I, by the way, I love that. I mean, I the Departed I, is a comedy. <laughs> I love it so much. Like I, I may get in trouble saying it that I kind of like it better than Goodfellas, but I, hey, I like Goodfellas a lot. But I, mm-hmm. the Departed has freaking Jack Nicholson and like what was was his last great role, basically. Yeah, he retired to the Lakers courtside seats. <laughs> yeah, it'd be um, nice to get him out of retirement for one more movie. I think he's too happy doing nothing. <laughs> Probably so. But you were saying about yeah, Scorsese has less I think, for sure. I think if you break down 
the the nominations and the wins. Uh huh. Scorsese has less than Spielberg. No, that's true. That's true. So. But I guess the comparison I was making is that in in both of their late stage careers, they definitely have this thing of being taken for granted. But I think even but, Scorsese is taken more for granted. Well, yeah, clearly. Because yeah. he can't even get his... He's fighting to get his movies on the fucking big screen. Spielberg well, can well, at least still do that. Can he, though? Anymore? Look at how badly West Side Story and Fablemans did. That shit did do... Both did do really bad. But, again, he's still been able to do it so far. He hasn't, like fallen, here. he hasn't fallen to Netflix yet, <laughs> like Marty had to for The Irishman. That would be stunning if he had to go to that point. If he needed to go there, I think, um, yeah, they're, they're definitely rethinking some things at Amblin. I think I saw recently they did a little bit of a shakeup. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's not it's great. It's coming maybe. back for Jurassic Park 7? Seven? 7? <laughs> no. I, I wanted, I don't know what's taking him so long. He should have been, I, I thought he was moving on that bullet film with Bradley Cooper. Yeah, he, need, he needs like a. He, this sounds bad. He needs to get out of his like fifties dad movie era. I don't think. Well, I can understand. He's, he's got to spice it. He's got to spice it. I'm talking about for box office. He's got to spice it I, up a bit. I, I I see what you mean. I see what you mean. That's a, a point well taken. And I understand that. But still, I, I don't think Bullet's going to be a remedy to that. I think it's going to be more of. What he's been in in this phase? Is it more action? It's supposed to be more action, but I was also uh, under the impression it was much more in the genre of crime western e situation. Well, that's something though, right? Right, that that's different. But again, the last I heard about that project, it was earlier in the year during the awards season, and I I don't know if it was the very next thing he was going to do. Last I heard him speak, he wasn't sure. Hmm. What he wanted to do directly next. You know how he always is. Like he, like I think he, he left, uh, Ready Player One and post production to do, to do, um, the post. He left Jurassic Park in post production to do, to do, uh, Schindler's List. So he always ends up being a last minute, like, decider about what he wants to do. Yeah. So I guess we'll see, uh, about that. But you are right, though. Scorsese is less, um, appreciated. Well, I guess less awarded, shall we say. And maybe he might stand a better chance of actually winning Best Director this time around than Spielberg did. Because Spielberg already had two. If he had one for Fablemans, it would have been his third. That it didn't happen. It sucks that it came out the same year as Oppenheimer. That's the thing, right? Because I and really Nolan, think... Nolan is the moment. The reason why... a lot of Because that's what happens a lot of the times with the Academy, right? It comes down to it's their time. Yeah. That's why he won for The Departed. Yeah. I don't think that was one of his best films, but he got no. shafted like three different times in the past. And they're like, this is ridiculous. He needs an Oscar. So they gave Roger him Ebert himself, uh, rest in, you know, rest in peace, Roger Ebert, who, by the way, every now and then I, I look up old videos of his because he always offers so much great insight. Uh, and the way that he talks about films is just, man, I wish he were alive today. You know, I, I just, I feel like in, we need a voice like that, and there's there is no voice like that in, in the film criticism space. 
But Roger Ebert himself said that Martin Scorsese, to him anyway, made the best film of the 1970s, the 1980s, and the 1990s, which was Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, and Goodfellas. And none of those movies ended up getting Scorsese a directing win. Yeah. And when you look at those films, it's like, it's ridiculous. So, and I think that's what they're going to do with Nolan. It's like, ah, it's his time. I mean, to be fair, I mean, we we didn't talk about this aspect as much about Nolan and Oppenheimer, but it's funny to think about, well, to an extent, Nolan himself, I don't know if he could use the the word shafted, but him and his movie, The Dark Knight, not being nominated for Best Picture caused so much of a backlash that that was the year they changed the rules from five Best Picture nominees to ten Best Picture nominees. I think ten, ten. 10 works so much better, I think. I think 10 I feel, yeah. It, it's the sweet spot. But if The Dark Knight had gotten in that original five lineup, maybe they never would have gone into 10 in the first place. Maybe. Or it just would have been another film down the down the line. At some point, I, for sure. I actually think Nolan, if you look at his career, it is more similar to like Spielberg than right. Matt Negley had an amazing article in nextbestpicture.com. For those that want to look it up, that had a great breakdown of the parallels between those two. One, mm-hmm. one, the one thing that is not so much a parallel was Spielberg got nominated a, a bunch of times for directing, minus Jaws, which is always and forever will be funny, how he had a film crew come <laughs> They were film. filming him when he found out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel so bad for, the, for him still. Um, but Nolan has only been nominated once before for directing. Um, mm-hmm. And that would have been for Dunkirk. However, Spielberg um, had so many nominations, and he didn't win until Schindler's List. But you were saying about the parallels between Spielberg and Nolan. Well, just because they're these massive directors where their name alone really Brings moves audiences. Crowd. Yeah. And they'll, they'll do different types of movies. So they'll yes. do big blockbusters, and they'll then they'll do like... Um, period biopic type films. Mm-hmm. Nolan's and they'll done, move yeah. Back and forth between, you know, the whole one for them, one for me. Basically. Type but they'll, they'll do the big sci fi action. Superhero. You know, superhero. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Have you, one other thing, one I wanted to bring up in this discussion was, because it it's a movie about Leonard Bernstein, um, and it stars Bradley Cooper, and it's directed by him, and it also stars Kerry Mulligan. The trailer came out today. Maestro. Without even seeing it, that just sounds like a, a made-for Oscar contender. It's I saw it, because I'm not a bitch like you, and it's, uh, yeah. It, it's for sure it's going to be an Oscar contender. And then, of course, when you look at the producers behind it, you don't think they're going to be pulling strings behind the scenes to give it a push? Oh, yeah. Produced by Marty Scorsese and Steven Spielberg. Just to name a few. Yeah. It, it, it's getting a good push, for sure. So, that might that might be one of the uh, early contenders. And I, I, hey, I 
really liked uh, A Star Is Born, and I thought the direction was one of the best things of that movie. So I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to Bradley Cooper's follow up here. With I, I'm mostly excited that he's directing this movie because I think he is a, a a talent for sure. Yeah. Um. Let's see if they actually nominate him for best director because they don't like actors turn directors for some reason in that branch. So. Stay in your lane. That's <laughs> You're not the, supposed to be that talented. That's the attitude. Okay, and then also, I guess they're deciding that Dune 2 is staying? I hope they do. I feel like Dune. I don't know. I just want whatever is best for the, for the success of the box office of the film. But at this point, I actually don't know what would be better. Because if they keep it... They're going to have that IMAX for like six weeks, which could help box office numbers. Mm -hmm. And there's not much competition, obviously, you know, because... Isn't the Marvels coming out the week after Dune or two weeks after Dune? Yeah, and it's not getting IMAX screens. Oh, yeah. Remember? That was the whole thing. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But I agree when people say... I think a big reason for the success or potentially the success financially is, you know, Zendaya, Timothy Chalamet, Timmy Chalamet, you know, all that. And it's like, if you can't throw them on every, you know, talk show everywhere to sell the film, I for sure, I think it could suffer because of that. So I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I finally saw the trailer uh, for Dune Part 2. And I got to tell you, I was blown away. I was blown away. I'm like, and you know what? We didn't take advantage of seeing Dune Part 1 in IMAX. We got to do Dune Part 2 in IMAX. We got to make some time for it. The thing is, not only I want to see I'm I want to see it in like true IMAX. You know oh, what I mean? It's hard for that's hard for us though. We don't have a true IMAX anywhere near us. So but we have we to go to do which one? Which one's in the true IMAX? In San Diego. Which one? At the um the what do you call it? The museum. Is that considered true IMAX? All I know is the last time I went, they had a fucking screen that felt like it wrapped around my entire being. Periphery, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll look it up. And I know they showed Oppenheim. To me, the, the best true IMAX and still the best screen that I've ever been to is at um, Universal City Walk in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. We saw Jaws there in 4K IMAX. All right. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> I mean, you could have been there. I mean, you we should have been we, there. I, I could have. I could have been there. Fuck you. Okay. Okay. Speaking of old movies, though, hey, um, lest we forget, at some point, I got to keep checking the updates for this. Jurassic Park might, uh, I think it's going to get a 4K IMAX release this year, so we got to go check that one out. We got to hit all the Spielbergs. Jurassic Park, E.T., Jaws. I'm very into that, yeah. So. Like we said, we enjoy seeing older films mm -hmm. and movie theaters. I think it's fun. Speaking of, we actually just saw one this last week. Uh, Princess Mononoke. Mononoke. 
I had never seen this movie before. And let me go ahead and explain myself. Um, because I'm going to get a lot of hate for this already. Good. Um, the animation uh, for Studio Ghibli films and the, the character designs, when they would air those movies on Cartoon Network, always creeped and scared the fuck out of me. So similarly to like how... I'm shaking um, my head. Similarly to how um, when they would play Iron Giant nonstop, I would avoid that channel like the plague. Oh, my. You would avoid Iron Giant? Okay. Yeah. I think mostly I was turned off because of how often they would play it. Like, give it a rest, guys. Move on to something else. You are that that kind of, like, spiteful. In some ways. But I would not. No, I wouldn't say most ways. I would. Uh one of my favorite lines in Oppenheimer was when Emily Blunt was saying, you know, the truly vindictive are as patient as saints. <laughs> Talking about Louis Strauss. I loved it. And she's true. And she's right. She's true. She's right about that point. Anywho, the point is the one, and it wasn't just a predetermined bias. I saw Spirited Away on Cartoon Network. And it was amazing but it also scared me and it also depressed me. <laughs> so right. I, I just was like, hmm, I think I'm going to go ahead and just stick to something else if these movies are going to be playing. But I never for a second, especially as I grew older, took for, um, for granted the amazing artistry that is Hayao Miyazaki or because I know anime – I know a, a quite bit of anime, and I know that is very much a respectable um, standard of animation, although some of us here may differ on uh, what exactly constitutes as anime and what exactly um, is good or not in anime. I mean, it constitutes as anime. Yeah, it does. Um, so, going into this... It's like, there's no question I'm going to see a great movie. That was my expectation. What I ended up getting was a sheer masterpiece. Like a sheer masterwork. And quite simply put, one of the most epic stories ever put to screen. Like, the, 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 the scale of this film is unto itself. And it, it really is... It, it makes me not only at this very moment want to watch all of Miyazaki's work and all of the Studio Ghibli Ghibli movies, but... (laughs) You say that every time, Ghibli Ghibli. Well, it's because I don't know which one it is. It's like everybody, it's like GIF or JIF. It's like, I'm not, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever whatever way you want it to be, it's fine. I'm not here to argue with you. Ghibli. Oh my God. I thought it was Ghibli. Anyway. (laughs) Um... What he's able, what he was able to put with this, with now that I've seen Spirited Away and Mononoke, it's like, wow. What he does is just so completely untouched and unparalleled with what anybody else is doing. It's in, entirely his own DNA. To me, what makes Mononoke one of the most sophisticated films ever made is simply by having 
not just you know a black and white situation, not a like or this side or that side. There are multiple points of view. There are multiple perspectives and, and characters that weave in and out of being, I guess, villainous or not. But it all really is beside the point. What I was so impressed with was the notion that everybody's point of view is valid and heard and reasonable. And also, the fact that these are enemies, you also get the other side's perspective and you believe them and feel them and agree with them as well. It is one of the most complicated uh, and also just politically conflicting films I've ever seen. And that's not even getting into the amazing characters, the amazing visuals, the animation that just takes your breath away, the amazing score. The score really kills it, yeah. This film was perfect. That's all I got to say. <laughs> and, I, and I would like to add that um, a, a very long time ago, I had bought him the uh, Blu-ray. No, for not Princess a very Mark. long time ago. A not a very, very long, time, long ago. time ago. You bought that for me 2022. How does that constitute as a very long time ago? I've got the damn receipts, bitch. It was December 2022, <laughs> okay? And you know what? You want to throw around these, like, bullshit, you know, I guess, like, points as to, like, oh, well, you know what? You don't count as much because, you know, you didn't actually watch <laughs> the Blu-ray that I gave you. Yeah, I didn't. But you know what? My first experience will forever be, first experience of this movie will forever be in a theater. Yes. Can you say the same? You know what? Thank as God. is also my first experience watching the Dune Part 2 trailer in IMAX. Something that, and apparently, you may not even get the chance to see it in theater. Let alone IMAX. I'll, I'll, so if you want to like say, gloat or boast, we can do this both ways. All I can say is thank God for Ghibli Fest because you probably would have gone to your grave without seeing Princess Mononoke. I'll just say that. Speaking of Ghibli Fest, um, I don't want to move off of the movie just quickly, but um, they're showing Porco Rosso. Yes. This Sunday. And that's another, I think that's a sort of underrated, one of his underrated ones. Because that's not the one you hear when people talk. About. No. You, you hear, uh, and maybe you don't hear, you hear the later ones like House Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke, um, Wind Rises. Spirited Away. Even The Wind Rises in like uh, Nausicaa, his first masterpiece. Uh, but Porco Rosso is kind of tucked in there. Yeah. Uh, but I really enjoy it. I like, I think it's slept on, so to speak. Well, I'm available to go see it if you want to go see it on Sunday. Um, we'll have to check our schedules if we can make that happen. Um, <sighs> I'll have to see because I'm yeah. already back in Escuela. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm about to go I'll in that direction as well. Um, yeah, we'll see how that how that goes. But anyway, Mononoke. I mean, you leapt to go see this in theaters. Well, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I told you, I, I think it's it's been a really, I have yet to have a negative experience going back to the movie theaters and seeing like an older film. Same. Like every single time we've done it, it's like, oh, this is awesome. I'm every so time. We did it. Yeah. So for me, it's like, to me, it's, 
an amazing film. Like, hell yeah, let's do it. And it's also, it's a type of film I haven't seen on a big screen, right? Yeah. You're uh, a weeb. So, like, you've seen anime on the big screen. As a matter of fact, a year ago this week, uh, Julio, David, and I saw Dragon Ball Super Superhero. My point exactly. Yeah. But it's like now you have the opportunity to see a good anime film. And <laughs> says the person that's never seen Dragon Ball. And will never see Dragon Ball. I've apparently. seen it like in passing as I'm changing the channel. I don't day. qualify that as viewing. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Point being, it's also a, a unique type of film that I don't think we've seen uh, in, the, in the theater again. So, yeah, of course I jumped to it and it was great. And you know what? I actually haven't seen, because when I saw them, and and I guess I found out this is like a big thing amongst your people, uh, the anime viewers, is to, to see it in the original, you know, watch it dubbed. Oh, um, dude, oh, I no, don't no, even... No. Original subtitles or to watch yeah. it dubbed? And like, because before I started, I was like, well, which one should I do? Uh-huh. And I and I kept going back and forth and I noticed there was some like big changes in the dialogue from watching the subtitles to it dubbed. Like some of it was different, but a lot of it was... No, a lot of it was, some of it was the same, but a lot of it was different. It's like the same, getting at the same point, but it was, but like a, a little word can change everything to me in, no, in a movie. No, I'm with you 100%. As a matter of fact, you bring this up when I'm, I'm right now I'm watching for the first time Dragon Ball Z Kai. Now you might think like, wait a minute, for the first time, like you, you've already <laughs> seen Dragon Ball Z. Well, there's two different versions of the show. There's the original broadcast, ver- well, there's several versions of the show in the West in English, there's two versions. There's Dragon oh my Ball's, God. There's Dragon Ball. It's literally like a like a like a Star Wars special edition situation. Honestly, mm-hmm. with this, there's the original broadcast version of Dragon Ball Z. Um, that's and then there there is Dragon Ball Z Kai, which was a truncated version where they did they enhanced some of the animation. They cleaned it up a little bit, brought it brought it to high definition. But but the biggest change was is the script. A lot of the, the script itself was changed to feel more like the Japanese version because in the original broadcast Dragon Ball Z days, there was that divide of, you know, a lot of liberties that were taken as far as characterization is concerned mm. um, uh, in, in the West as it was in compared to uh, Japan. Like uh, Akira Toriyama always complained that he felt that his main character Goku was portrayed as too much of a hero, uh, like too much of a heroic symbol and less of the stupid, cocky you know, uh, fighter that he preferred it to be in his manga and then later on in the anime. So when they did Dragon Ball Z Kai, they made conscientious efforts to make it as close to the Japanese version as possible. And again, for those that don't want to see the subtitled version, they have that version. So that's kind of like a a long explanation of uh, just how – and yes, even 
when uh, Super Superhero came out in theaters last year, they had sub versions, they had dub versions. I even saw that for Porco Rosso, there's, I think it's on Sunday and it's on Tuesday, one is English dubbed and, and one is subbed. Okay. Well, that actually brings it back to the point I was making originally, which was when I saw them originally, I just went with subbed. Did Cause you? Because I'm like, yes. Because I'm like, okay. let me see it in like, I don't know, the purest form, like what it was when it was made. Um, so, I watched all of them with subtitles. So, that was the first time I watched, um, what do you call it? Princess Mononoke with the English um, subtitles. Oh, 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 this right now. Yes. Really? Interesting. Okay. I originally saw it in its original uh, Japanese with the subtitles, but when we saw it at the movie theaters, yeah, that was the first time I saw it with the, all the English um, voice acting. And if you actually see, especially with the some of the later films, they get like big names, actors to do the, the dubbing. Mm-hmm. Which to me, and again, a voice actor can change the way you feel about a character. A character, yeah. Even if it's the exact same script, a, a voice actor can change everything. Yeah. And, and But the thing is, it's not the same script. It very much, there are a few lines here and there that are like the same, but they do change a lot of stuff. And when I first started doing it, I, I, swear, to, I swear to you, I had it like on my laptop. The, um, this is, I'm, I don't know what's wrong with my brain. I, on the TV, I had the subtitled version, and then on the laptop, I had the dubbed, and I would go line by line. I would keep pressing pause and play at the same time to look at every single difference mm-hmm. in the line. And I think it was when I was watching Porco Rosso, and then I was like, oh, wow. Like I don't know. It was just fascinating how like little lines mm-hmm. change stuff. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I believe they got, what's his name to voice Porco Rosso? Um, uh, the original Batman himself. Keaton? Michael Keaton. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So how was it then, this, this version? I really, I enjoyed it. Obviously, obviously it's still great. Right, but there is um, there's interesting changes. I'll say that. Mm. Do you want to talk about any of those changes? No. Okay. <laughs> well, we may we may go see Porco Rosso, but then also I believe still to come out this year. Again, we we're gonna have to pick and choose, and we're gonna have as much availability because I know that Jurassic Park's coming up for a re-release. That's not even getting into any of the new movies, but then also um. I believe Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away are still on the calendar. Um, and I was wondering why they were doing uh, a 2023 Studio Ghibli Fest. Well, it turns out, as you mentioned to me, when we were walking out of Mononoke, and I was reading about it today, an, an article on Letterboxd, Hayao Miyazaki has a new movie. Yeah. Only <laughs> we, there's, there's no trailer, there are no images that have come out of it, it's already playing in the Japanese market. But uh, I believe it's called The Boy and the Heron. The reactions that I read on the Letterboxd article were spectacular. 
Um, so that's exciting. But it's just plain all exciting to see that for the first time in 10 years, there's a new Hayao Miyazaki, Miyazaki movie. And then also, it's kind of awesome how his name alone, like you would think that a film that has no more, you know, promotional campaign would just not exist. Well, um, the audience, uh, the audiences are showing up in Japan. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, it's I actually, well, I think that's awesome. I think it's going to be really interesting to see stateside, right? Because I think Why since we get it. Well, when we get it, mm-hmm. but since his last film, right? I think there's just been such a massive cultural shift and anime is just dominates in really a lot of Japanese culture. Like you see it with the Super Mario Brothers movies, just dominates um, the zeitgeist even here in, in the West. And a lot of people grew up watching Studio Ghibli here. And I wonder how that's going to translate when it finally comes over. Because I assume there actually is going to be a campaign in the United States. They're not going to pull this. It's just going to be in theaters. One they can't because no, we're, we're a lot more here. prickly. If, if you don't yeah. have a, 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 a campaign of some sort, no one knows you exist. You have to do it. Yeah. So I assume there's going to be trailers. There's going to be. So I'm really interested to see what kind of numbers it does you know like what what happens there because we've seen smaller films or even ports of movies have a big splash like rrr right yeah like that was actually really cool to see yeah. the way that that film sort of took um really the whole world but yeah. you know here cuz this is where we live america by storm and mm-hmm. and how big it became so, yeah, I'm really interested when it comes out. And hopefully by then you will have seen <laughs> the rest of his filmography. Well, I very much want to. Um, we'll see when we get to that. That's for sure. Uh, before we leave today, two things real quick. We mentioned it earlier. Do we have any expectations for ahsoka um yes they're not great expectations (laughs) but there is i do have an expectation of what i think it's gonna be what is it gonna be tell me um it's it's to me it's gonna feel like rebels but Probably in the way I think about it and not in the way you think about it. That's in other, In other words, I think you're going to... if Because you are going to see it. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. No, yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, I think of anything, you will view those... You'll, you'll view it in the way I view Rebels, right? It'll be that kind of way. Because it's, it's, it's everything he's done before. So far, it seems... Which is you're you're gonna he turned Sabine into her Padawan, which again it it goes back to that whole thing of where I say like when you don't know what to do with a character, 
put a lightsaber in their hand and then Star Wars fans immediately consider that interesting. And see that that's just that's just one angle to hate that. The angle that I come from is mm-hmm. this JJ Abrams and seemingly also Dave Filoni mentality of like, oh, this happened all along. You just didn't know it. You just didn't see it. Yeah. And then also doesn't Sabine have connections? Why is why <laughs> Why is she training her when she when she told a, a baby to get fucked in, in the Mandalorian? I still think that, that was such a weird moment. It's so to me that's so out of character. I agree with you. It is very out of character. That's why none of us. Uh, well, that's why I haven't enjoyed Rosario Dawson's portrayal of it. And to be honest with you, based on the trailers that I've seen. These actors that have been brought in to play characters that I know and love from the animated show, none of them have really appealed to me. I, I, I feel like I'm going to be taken out of the show quite often. See, that's fu- that's funny because I'm such I'm in such a different boat in that yeah, you I are. don't care about these characters. <laughs> yeah. Especially, um, what's his name? Ezra? Mm-hmm. I... I how, yeah, the you, way- you have this weird thing where you, you, you called... Um, Taylor, I forget what Taylor is something that the the voice actor from Ezra, you pretty much like trashed him Whoa. and his ability to voice. No, no, you did. You, you see said the way you he, make it personal. No, you said it. Well, he wasn't a great voice actor. Like you basically trashed his entire performance. And we have the freaking tapes. So if you want to go back and listen to what your I words can... were, says the person <laughs> that forgets calling somebody a bitch uh, when you know we're on a show with them. So I wouldn't put your recollection. I've called you a bitch every show. My point is, I wasn't saying me. Okay, whatever. I was saying other people. The point is. I can I see this is the thing you always twist my words I come in I, I just make light critiques of an actor and be like hey oh, sure I, I, do. I don't really like his his voice acting that much and then you're like you make it seem like I'm calling for his head personally the, the, not even like the character but the human being behind the voice like, I didn't insane, I didn't mean to suggest that's what you said hmm. I remember you just saying he was a terrible voice actor. <laughs> I that performance was not good, but my issue isn't even the performance. My issue is mostly with no. The your character. issue, part of your issue was the you had many issues. Don't you remember you had a notebook yes. fill of issues? I think I show? remember better. So it's like it wasn't just one issue. There were several issues. Uh, you weren't even listening to me half the time. You were seeing red when we were discussing. Okay. <laughs> I was listening to everything you were saying, and I agreed with basically none of it. Okay, sure. My point being, this is 2017. I do by the not way. have the issues that you have as far as the characters and new people portraying them, because I don't got much. I don't know what the fuck you call it, nostalgia or care for. You don't them have it. You don't, you hold no love for these characters to be. Yeah, with, so, so I don't it's not care. gonna bother you if it's no. not. It doesn't feel like them. Like well, to the me, only one was for me was Ahsoka. Yeah, but even and to me, I, it's like she's like, honestly, every time she opens her mouth, it just feels like I'm watching an imposter. Yeah, but that's the way it felt for me when I would watch her in Rebels. So it fits perfectly. She hasn't been an interesting character since the Clone Wars. Sorry to break it to you. I bet Continue. you she only saw Rebels and that's what she based her, her character off in her acting. So, to me, it's a perfect translation. If you find that boring. Eh. 
I got something but, bad to tell you about. But Rebels. no, but that, that's not, not that's not fair because we also discussed on Mandalorian that from a writing standpoint that also felt like no, yeah, a, the writing was bad out of left field as far as like I certain just brought choices. It up. Yes, I yes. know, but but I'm just saying, hey, it, it's not a one to one. It's not exactly how it was in Rebels. There, there've been the writing some, it, is worse. Yeah, yes, that that's what I'm saying here. Like there've been like rather but strange did, liberties wait, taken. Did did Dave Filoni write that? He did. That's why I don't oh, get it. Shit. I, yeah. Okay. See, I thought someone else did because I was going to no. say, well, maybe it's going to be better because now he's he's that's in. and you know what? Yeah. He only di- I saw he only directs two episodes. Yeah. And he doesn't even direct the final episode. That's no. Rick um, Famuyua. Famuyua, which is funny. I, I, do they always give him like the final episode? What's up with that? Um, but yeah, it just seems boring. It's like, oh no, another example of the Inquisitors are after them. Are any of them better than Ahsoka? No. Ahsoka's not going to lose to any of them. And then it, it, it's going to, I feel like it's going to be kind of Rebels, where it's like you have Kanan and Ezra, and then, but this time it's Ahsoka Ahsoka and Sabine, and and you have Inquisitors after them. Only this time they're going to be looking for Ezra. And you know it's going to lead to, like, the movie. So I don't think it'll be necessarily satisfying narratively. Well, that, that's part of what – well, that's one of the issues that I think is uh, already going to be bringing down the quality of the show is that it just feels like a preamble to the Heir to the Empire movie. Yeah. It, it, it genuinely feels like setup just from, like, the trailers. I mean, they literally said heir to the empire in it. In the trailer, yeah. In the yeah. trailer. Well, that's the, hey, they have the same actor, though, for, for Lars. Yeah, Lars Mikkelsen. So maybe you can look forward to that. Um, maybe. I, uh, I, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, but that's the other thing. Kanan was actually, he was the one character where I'm like, oh my God, he's so interesting, right? Right. So that dynamic really held it together for me, especially in the earlier seasons when they have Inquisitors coming after them. And he's like a Jedi that never really finished his training because of 4066. And now he's trying to be a master. Like there's that really interesting dynamic. There isn't an interesting dynamic at all between Ahsoka and... Um, well, Sabine. because their relationship is non-existent to each other. We haven't seen yeah. them say a single word to each other. Like, there wouldn't be one there to begin with because it just, it, it didn't exist. And and the whole thing is like, well, hey, maybe they'll develop one for the show. But my experience with these shows in the past is they don't really develop much of anything. They rely mm-hmm. on the shows of the past and point to the past and be like, well, that's when the development ha- if it's an animation, that's when the development happened. And now we're just bringing all of it back to be like, oh my gosh, you know, do you remember this? And the one like, thing that still bothers me um, that seemingly no one cares to address, and you're right, what was Ahsoka doing during the original trilogy? Because, okay, how... <laughs> I don't want to get into this again, but like the last episode, when, when Ezra beams off into the sunset, or the galaxy wasn't there like years isn't that like before new hope right yes so what happens is they beam away 
three years happen and then Ahsoka shows up back and she's like, it's time to Sabine, right? Are you sure it's three years? Well, that's how long the original trilogy took, right? There's one year in between. Oh, four years. Sorry, four years. Okay, three or let's just say it's like four years. I think it's maybe four. I thought it was more like closer to five. Okay, let's just say it's four years, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The last we saw Ahsoka in that timeline, she goes back to season two of Star Wars Rebels, which would make it like three, two or three years before A New Hope. So that's even more time. That's like oh really? Six... So th- the finale? No, she's not in the finale of the show. Her oh, last that's a- right. Yeah, her last her appearance was in the world between worlds. And what happens yeah. is she goes back to the fin- the Twilight of the Apprentice, the finale mm-hmm. of season two. She yeah, ends up right. back like basically two years in the past. So that adds even more time that she's just been out of commission and doing nothing. That's like six years. Yeah, easy. And then she waits until the Empire falls. And then she, she shows... Because remember, the very ending is them celifi- celebrating on um, Lo, Lo Fall. Is that what it's called? The, 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 the last scene is... Yeah, they're on Lothal after uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, directly after Return of the Jedi. They're celebrating like, yay, we suffer and uh, and then that's when she shows up and she's like, sup, Sabine. And, and it's heavily implied, like, okay, we're going to go find Ezra. But then we get to the Mandalorian. And the Mandalorian, doesn't that take place like five years? Yes, at least. After Return of the Jedi? At least, yeah. And then let's say, just give them the most you can, even though... Remember when he claimed there was two years between season two and season three? Yeah. But let's say they're full of shit. Let's say it's like one year, season two and season three. So six years after. That's 12 years. What the fuck were they doing? <laughs> what was she doing? I I assume what they're going to say is at the end of Return of the Jedi... She showed up and she's like, okay, I need to train you now. And for six years, she's been training her to be a Jedi. What I just thought of right now is, and this could potentially be worse. Uh, and I can actually see them doing this where, where they say, technically, after the events, uh, after Ezra and Thrawn you know, blasted off into light speed during the events of the original trilogy, because during the events of the original trilogy, the rep, the, the ghost crew is still off on missions doing whatever. Yeah, for sure. What if they say, oh yeah, and Ahsoka was with them the whole time, and in that time, Ahsoka trains Sabine to fit in like with that- this... I'm not saying I'm buying it. I'm just hold, let oh, me finish yeah. what I think they might do. Uh-huh. I don't buy it either, but that's what I think they're going to go. They're going to say that Ahsoka was training Sabine that whole time, taking over for Kanan, even though I don't know why they would do that. But hey, let's just say that's what it is. When but, would she ever? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, exactly. But it 
almost doesn't work because you're basically saying that Ahsoka was involved with the rebellion at the same time that Luke Han and Leia were. Yeah. And what, and, and what their paths would never cross unless you're going to go ahead and say, oh yeah, they met during the events, but Ahsoka just didn't get involved with how would she not get involved with Vader if she had that close of a connection to him after what happened? Yeah. It, it, it's insane. Especially with their whole, like, there is another type discussion. I, I'm, uh. but also, if I remember correctly, at the end, they literally tell Sabine, like, they basically ground her on Lothal. And yeah. They're, and they're like, you need to take care of the people on Lothal here. And they very much insinuate or either even outright say it like she never left the planet. She stayed there looking after Lothal for the entirety of You may the be right about trilogy. that. I haven't seen it in a while, but I gotta go back and check out. But I think you may be right. Like she she just she was just there. Yeah. And then that's why it was a big deal after it was all done that Ahsoka showed back up and she was like Let's go get them. Heir to the Empire. She'll take on... But that's that's what's so crazy to me, because she's willing to do all this to go after Thrawn or to get Ezra back. But she didn't do anything to actually fight the war itself against the Empire? Yeah. Especially because she gives that spiel about like connections and stuff. At that point, you lost me. I cannot believe they 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 molded her into that failed way of thinking mm-hmm. that was so very much clearly one of the many indictments of the old Jedi Order. I don't know why. And one of the reasons why Ahsoka was a breath of fresh air was because she broke away from that failed order. I don't yeah. know who decided that it would be a great idea to when she, you know grew older she'd just be more like the stick in the muds like mace windu and everything especially because she continues to say that she's not a jedi and it's like if you're gonna follow the order like shut up like (laughs) but but also like that again the whole thing of like ezra's gone like you can kind of assume he's just dead like i feel like especially a jedi that's talking about like connections and learning to let go they wouldn't ignore this galaxy at war, literally led by your former master, to maybe find this kid that she barely knows again. I don't know. I, I just, I could maybe see her, her like pick up back after the war, which they kind of imply, like right after it's over. But she also did nothing to help in the war. <laughs> Yeah, I have to imagine on some level, some of the dialogue on the show might give away or flat out say where she was and what she was doing. I think they're going to answer it a lot. I just don't think it's going to be satisfactory in the least to me. Uh I think everyone else would be cool with it and I'll be like, bullshit. (laughs) But that's sort of like the case. Like to me, it it doesn't work to have Ahsoka out there at the same time that Luke is. At the Before the... Before, like, during Empire, because, like, how would she not tell Luke about his father? Not only that, I think Ahsoka could take down Darth Vader. Like, when if I'm Obi-Wan or I'm Yoda, 
you're goddamn right. I'm throwing her at him. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, it just falls apart in ways. Well, it that... does because Obi Wan Yoda did not have any. They didn't want to redeem Vader. They wanted to kill him. They that was literally the whole thing. They were yeah. like, "You got to kill this motherfucker," and and you can tell they kind of they didn't want to have Luke do it, but they're like, "You are literally it." Like, there are no Jedi. The Jedi are dead. You're the closest thing we got. Like, but then they completely retcon that, and there's a hundred several Jedis. times over. There's a hundred Inquisitors. There's a hundred not Jedi, not Inquisitors, but Force you. I don't like what they've done. <laughs> but it will be interesting to see what the series does. Especially because... Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't... Either it feels just like a handful of... Because what is it, 10 episodes? It either it just feels like a handful of rebel episodes like a rebel arc you know remember how they would have arcs and sometimes it would be like certain characters yeah i have a feeling it might just feel like that like an arc where ahsoka and sabine went off to do a mission together and then they got cut up with uh what do you call it some inquisitors and then that's that's the story Unless they have more that they haven't shown yet, which they might, because they love throwing in shit. Like, they throw in Luke to Mandalorian and stuff like that. But it feels like they're deliberately building, at least, obviously, he is now to the movie. Right. Um, when does it premiere? Ahsoka? Yeah. Um, next week. Oh, Wednesday. Shit. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure I'll wake up to many messages or reactions yeah they're gonna drop the first two episodes hmm so oh yeah okay that's why okay that makes sense because i saw the first two were directed by him no only the first of the he directed the f- two episodes the first one and then i think the he directed the fifth... three oh okay okay the first two and then i think the fifth that's what i saw Guess we'll see. Before we go, you want to talk about what you thought of Mutant Mayhem? Oh, yeah. We saw the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Mutant Mayhem. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was funny, too. Really funny. It was really funny. It was a lot of fun. That Seth Rogen, he's a great producer. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it's the ninja turtles as a property it's so versatile Mm -hmm. you go from really kitty stuff to really violent stuff and back and forth but i really like what they did they really leaned into the teenage aspect all the Mm -hmm. way from the art style because the art style feels like teenage doodles the kind of like our drawings they'd make on their work at the back of the, the class when they're not listening to the teacher um to the actors to the way that they're able to you know work off of each other and also just the story of, you know, feeling ostracized, you know, which is a big, big feeling you feel when you're that age. Um, all the voice actors was great. The action was fun. It was very funny. I don't know. It's just, again, it's another, it's another hit in my mind as far mm-hmm. as not only animated movies, but animated movies that are breaking out of the mold of what they used to be thanks to films like Into the Spider-Verse. 
I agree. <laughs> and I basically gave my feelings on the podcast that last time with David. Um, it's honestly a really good time to go to the movies right now. There's a lot of really yes. good options. There's options. Go. Yeah. Different kinds of them as well. So um, we had no plans to see Gran Turismo. Um, <laughs> you can hate me now. And I don't think and we're going to catch so Blue Beetle, are we? It's I, gotten good review. I, I, I put it this way. If it was, if it came out like two weeks ago, I'd say yeah, yeah, because it's gotten pretty good, good reviews. But I, I don't think I care now. I'm really busy. You gotta pick and, I don't and think choose. I care about it enough to would go, you like, would you pick that over Porco Rosso? No, no, no. That's that's the thing, right? Like I think last semester I can't remember what I saw, but there was a couple where I saw where I'm like, do you remember which movies? Was it across the spider? No. What do you mean? Uh, the last semester that you were able to see movies? There was a couple that I Guardians. Yeah, obviously. And um, was that it? That might have just been it. Uh, that might have been just been yeah. yeah. I don't remember much of you at all mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier in the year? So that's what I mean. I got to be real picky choosy. Dune would be one of them, I'll tell you that right now. I mean, obviously. Mm. The Marvels would not be one of them. Yeah, unfortunately. But I uh, I am kind of hoping for it. Real quick, real, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the actress, uh, Rachel? Of course you do. Rachel Zegler? Yes, of course I know Rachel Zegler. Yeah. Obviously. And can I just say... I'm really pissed off at the way people have been treating her. They're, it, it, they're trying to turn her into the new Brie Larson. There's a I, certain sect on the internet that's trying to do that. And I don't understand what the hell she did. Maybe because she speaks her mind? I don't know. Just what like hell- Brie Larson, she did nothing. But there's a certain sect. They need uh, a mascot, aka a woman, to like despise. So I, I guarantee, I, it's a, I'm saying just watch for it. You're going to start to see her face slapped over all over those, and we know who we're talking about, those piece of shit uh youtubers that that th- that generate outrage over nothing cuz what did Brie Larson do <laughs> nothing she suggested nothing. that perhaps there should be more women working behind the camera and then that was perceived as an attack on men you know what i don't even <laughs> think she said that she, she said i think like, she meant that i think she meant that i don't know if that was the actual words the words got she, misconstrued no, no. she said about reviewers she was like you know She's like, no hate to guy reviewers, but if I'm going to see a woman, you know, made by women for women, I want to see a woman's perspective when she reviews that. Like, she said something like that. And that's fair. And then... That's a completely fair take Completely fair. And then, of course, it just turned into... But again, it's just misogyny. That, that's all it is. Yeah, but, as a matter uh, the of reason why I'm telling you because yeah. there, I see people doing it. Like, yes, we found our new sacrifice, basically, our new Hillary, our new, basically, our new human sacrifice. I, I even saw. No, I, I agree with you. I even saw one particular individual um, who I happen to know is of that persuasion, randomly attacking her. So I'm already seeing it happen. But even before then, I, I just feel like. What did this woman do? Like she, she was amazing That's in West Side Story. She was great in Shazam, uh, Fury of Gods, 
And like people were were coming after her in the press tour of Shazam a few months ago because she was saying, um, what did she say? She was saying that she did this movie because she needed a job or something. Well, they asked her like, whoa, you know, why Shazam? And she's like, I like she was just honest. She's like, oh, my God, I really need a job. I wasn't getting, you know, cast, you know, after I think she said like what uh, what's it called? Hadn't come out yet. Um, Yeah. West Side Story. West Side Story hadn't come out yet. You know, I wasn't getting calls back. And then I got so lucky to, you know, get a call back here. And then she promoted the hell out of that movie. She did. And, and she talked about how positive everything. So, and, and again, it it's literally just misogyny. It's literally because just... Well, I, I even, like, I know um, there are other people who, Randolph, for instance, are actively rooting for her career to implode because she's saying that Zegler is the reason why West Side Story and Shazam bombed. She also said that Margot Robbie wasn't a movie star and that she's... Yeah. Look at her fucking... Yeah, I, I know, but it's like, I mean, people buy into that mentality. And people the other thing like is... like a narrative. I yeah, think they that's, do. that's what it is. They but just get did, latched onto a narrative. What did she say about Snow White? That she wasn't a fan of Snow White? And how she is that She said she saw it once when she was a kid, but it scared her. So she didn't watch it again. Snow White? scared generations of kids why do you think at disneyland at disneyland the snow white attraction for for over 60 years at disneyland it was called snow white's scary adventures (laughs) it's terror i remember being a kid terrifying when she's running through the the forest yeah it's supposed to be that way the 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 witch Is supposed to be terrifying. But that's such a normal human answer. But because they need to create a villain, they twist it to like, she's disrespecting. And this is why I say fuck fans. Like, yeah. like I, I, this whole idea of like, you need to respect me. I, I honestly think that comes down to like these people having issues in their real life. Yeah. Like a, a lack of feeling respected that they turn to the internet and yell at celebrities to respect them it's really weird Um, but it also it it, it also goes back to this uh really flawed way of thinking that if you're not a fan of something and you get hired to work on that property acting is a job you're not going to make well even acting but let's say it goes back to that mentality of a a writer or director and you get hired to work on a franchise but you're not a fan of that franchise first of all you have no business being there and second of all it's no way in hell it's going to be any good or justice to the original which is bullshit because like this happens all the time and there have been great pieces that have come out I mean I'll give you one that everybody loves Captain America the Winter Soldier the Russos didn't like Captain America they did not like that character in the yeah. comics. They liked Doctor Strange. They wanted to do a Doctor Strange movie, but they got stuck with Captain America. But oopsie, I thought Captain America was everybody's favorite hero, and mainly because of that movie. Yeah. I, I, but also, it, it's so weird because it comes from the same people that they want like everyone else to take comic book movies seriously. And it's like, guess what? Your average film, you know... Even if it's a pre-existing property, it's a director that comes on to do a job. And guess what? If they're a great director, 
they'll make a great movie. If they're a great writer, they're, they'll make a great movie. They don't have to be a lifelong like slave to the material. You know, it, it's just that's so weird. That that's like a five year old's thinking. They're professionals, especially yeah. actors too. You think Robert Downey Jr. gives gave a fuck? Do you think he gives a fuck to this day about Marvel? No. <laughs> but guess what? It was it it catapulted his career. Uh, he he would go in front of a screen, say lines, walk off. But you know what? He's a great actor, so he did mm-hmm. a great fucking job. And there's endless, endless, endless examples of that, not just with comic book films, but all films, all mediums. It's just a really stupid, silly way to look at art. I just, I do feel bad for Rachel Zegler because she's just had a lot of bad luck in this. It's really, it is bad yeah, luck for sure. that West Side Story bombed. It's really bad luck that Shazam bombed, and both are really good movies. And I, of course, look, um, uh, again, bad luck, but you need a job, right? But she got cast in a Disney live action remake. And which just is to put, also going to bomb. Which, yeah, but to put even more, you know, bad juju in the mix, Gal Gadot is in it. That is- and she also has bad luck, too. The movie itself, I think, has failure written all over it. Especially, especially after looking at what happened with Little Mermaid, which wasn't like a bomb, but it's it, it's the cracks are showing. Obviously, um, I'm really hoping she gets like a fucking great film. The the interesting case with Little Mermaid is that it it actually was very successful here in America. Here, yeah. Everywhere else, it kind of like. Flop. Yeah, but people have that connection to Little Mermaid that they don't have with Snow White. Yeah, no. Snow White came out in the fucking 1930s, whereas Little um, Mermaid came out in 1989, right? So it's that perfect generational gap for nostalgia, where Snow White, not really. So... Yeah, I, I've noticed that too, and it just it pisses me off. So I just try to avoid it. But it's just like it's yeah. all of the points that I've seen. It's like, and there there've even been people who are like, "Why are why are you reacting this way?" For money. Yeah, maybe that's true. That's for ninety well, percent of them. them yeah, it for is. Money. It's just money. Yeah. Jesus, man. Anywho, I think we're going to go ahead and call it a day here. Um, Thank you, Peter, for being on. Thank you, all of you, for listening. Of course, reminder that you can listen to our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Um, Stay under our spotlight for more content and more. Maybe we'll do some Ahsoka recaps. We'll see if we even have the stomach to see some of them. Until next time, this has been Red Spotlight, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.